angry, but also sending a dick pic. Uh, <laughs> I can't quite get my head around that. Well, yeah, like, so for, like, last, I night I got, <laughs> last night I got one from this guy being like, you know you're not funny, right? And then, and then he was like, um, you should... And then he just sent a picture of his completely naked of him with his penis being like this is what you should be doing <laughs> hi everyone before we start i want to take a minute to talk about my next book you may have heard about the story of gamestop in january or february and thought it was all over you're sadly mistaken. Unfolding Online has been a clash between the corrupt practices of Wall Street and the hive mind of the internet. It's a hot, raging information war pitting retail investors against financial giants swimming in corruption and fraud. The trailer is at the end of this podcast, but if you want to help crowdfund the book or just find out more, you can sign up to my mailing list to get access to a preview of chapter one or go to whenmoon.com to read more about the book. The first 200 people to pre-order the book will get a free pack of To The Moon crayons with their book. I just want to make a quick mention of our sponsors. Namecheap are one of the cheapest places on the internet to get a domain name for your next website. I've used Namecheap for all the sites I've ever purchased and I've found it really easy to use. Spreaker are a rapidly growing platform for podcast recording, publishing and monetization with pricing plans as low as $7 per month. A cheap way to host your podcast and start earning from your back catalog of shows. Finally, ExpressVPN is the internet's most trusted VPN. Protect your privacy and watch and view content that is location locked. You can even try watching Netflix from a different country. And right now, they're offering 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Please use the links in the description below if you want to support the show. Anyway. Here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Rosie Holt, uh, comedian and actor. Welcome to the show, Rosie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, like I said, uh, I was sad to not be able to get you while I was in London, but um, maybe another time. So what is your first memory of comedy? Well, so my my so my dad uh my dad was a real comedy lover and he had this old he had this old VHS tape which had uh an assortment of things on it and it had um it had Willow the Wisp do you did you ever watch Willow the Wisp which was this it was this cartoon but it was voiced by um Kenneth Williams and it was amazing if you've never seen it you have to check it out it's really funny and really kind of quirky okay um so it had it had some episodes of that on it, and then it also had not the nine o'clock news, and then it also had Rick Mail's character Kevin Turvey. So it was like a, but, but it was you know back in the day when the tapes you had you just watch again and again and again. So it was a tape just of random comedy he'd sort of taped on TV, but that was that I was thinking that that's probably kind of the earliest memory I have of of, uh, of comedy. It was just this great this great assortment of old. TV things, and then you know, I think the tape died after after a couple of years, as they do. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird to think that we used to just like watch the same things over and over. We didn't have like a billion possible things to watch on Netflix. Not that some of us don't just watch the same thing over and over, regardless. But 
Well, sometimes you do as well because you 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 look at Netflix and you look at all the choice and you go, I can't cope with this. It's too much. I need to I need to just go with what I know. I can't I can't be dealing with all these newfangled things <laughs> that people are telling me to watch. Yeah, I don't know why people have the time. It's pretty crazy. No. Um, I mean, I don't know. I find but... a lot of I find time to watch a lot of TV. However busy I am. <laughs> So I think, I think if you're, if you're dedicated to watching a lot of rubbish on TV, you can, you can always find a moment. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the video has stopped uh, sending, but it is still recording. I'll cut this a little bit out just so you know. Um, so I think it'll come back in a minute. There's just like, yeah, it jumps up and down due to internet and quality issues. But so who is the, the first female comedian that you remember seeing? Um, probably uh, Victoria Wood or, or um, you know, Mrs. Miss Caroline Herndon, Mrs. Merton. Um, I think it's quite telling that as a kid, I can't really think of any. Um, I mean, you know, there was them and there was, Jen, there was um, French and Saunders. But the idea of women doing comedy was really just not a thing when I was growing up. Um, so it, it, it was only, it was only really kind of in my late twenties that I even kind of thought, oh wait, women can, women can do this. Who's the first one you remember that like, um, you saw on stage, like along at the same time as maybe you were starting, they saw you and, um, aside from the, the two you've mentioned there, like who, who are the ones that you saw as like your first peers as such? Um, I'm not, sh I'm not sure. Um, I've, I've suddenly, so I used to live with Harriet Kemsley, who is, I don't know if people are always, it's very good stand up. And that was before I started doing stand up. And so she, she was really kind of my entry in stand up. Uh, cause I used to go and support her and go to a lot of her gigs. Um, and she's someone who's gone on to do really well. So when I was going to see her, I was like, oh, okay, there's some, there's some really good female um, comedians out there. I've just suddenly had a kind of um, a, a mind blank, which always happens when I'm like, <laughs> must remember these names. Um, but, I mean, it's good. There's some really good people out now. I'm Wait, I'm going to, you'll have to, you're going to have to ca catch, um, can't even speak, uh, cut me out. Um, it's all right. I'll mean, I'll you, I mean, that's the first, it. And the Andrea Hubert. Okay. Who I think is great. Um, she was sort of when I was when I when I started doing stand up, and I remember seeing her early on, and I thought she was so brilliant because she's she's someone who's really um, she's not afraid to go to really dark places, and I think that's sometimes harder for women because we get a lot more judgment piled onto us. And it's a lot easier to be a kind of Frankie Ball type if you're a man because people are a bit more forgiving. Where if women say stuff which are really dark or really bad, people tend to kind of see it as a kind of personal failing of them. I, I don't know. That's kind of the impression <laughs> I got. But I remember thinking she was great. Hmm. But do you think that that element of surprise, like say you're a woman, you're, in, you're, you're doing some comedy, like, and you want to take it to that, really dark place do you think that maybe you look if you're if you're a woman on stage you look like a, 
a little bit more sort of sweet or innocent in a way than than a guy would and then it, it takes the the audience by surprise so it kind of gives you more like stealth in in, in, the, oh, in what's coming yeah, in the material you, you can definitely play with that certainly um it's it's always it's always a funny one because also when you go on stage as a woman i think the audience expects something of you they expect that they usually i mean i think what's hard about being a female comic is there's an element of goodwill if you're a new co- comic and you're you're a male comic and the audience aren't aware of you when you go on stage there's they're all, all the the audience already set up for you to be funny they're like yeah okay we're in safe power of hands this guy's gonna be great as a woman comic i think i find you don't have that element of goodwill when you come on stage people are already a bit tense they're like oh it's a woman <laughs> is she gonna joke about her periods what's what's going on so you usually have to um, work a bit harder, I think, at the beginning to convince people you're funny. And then when you're there, you're fine. I think once the audience relax and they go, okay, we're, we're in, in the presence of someone who's going to make us laugh, they're fine. But they are, I, I think they are more tense when a woman comes on stage. They're more prepared for them not to be funny. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, I de- yeah, I think you're probably right. I th- yeah, I think it's more when they're when it's an unknown comedian and and they kind of walk on stage that you there's 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 that moment. It's like, oh, what's this going to be like? That kind of like just I don't know permeates the audience. Do, do, have you like altered your your sets to deal with that? Like, is it something you realize and then you kind of like altered the way you lay your material? Like, like do you go with the something big as like an icebreaker or, or something like really shocking or I don't know, like, do you have like a way of dealing with that? Well, I, so I've stopped, I, I kind of haven't done stand up for a while, but when I was doing it pre pandemic, I'd usually address the fact that I was a woman. <laughs> I'd just be like, hello, I'm a woman. Um, I can't remember what I'd say, but I I did sort of address that. I think if you you address the kind of uncomfortableness in the room straight away, people and I think every comic does it. Like where, wherever you are, you address the thing the first thing people are thinking about. So it, you know it's it's annoying because you often have to sort of say, ah, oh, make some joke about your appearance or or what the audience are thinking. But it is it does work as an icebreaker, and. I think comics do that um, about all sorts of things, about you know about their race or their religion or whatever they're aware that the audience are instantly going to be thinking of when they come on stage. Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's the the skill, really, isn't it? Um, so, what is wh- when was the first time you kind of realised that the comedy, in some form, one or another, that you wanted to do that as something, even just like the first time you went. I could do that. Like, I could get on stage and tell some jokes. Well, I, so I trained as an actor and it was, and I'd, and I'd, you know, I'd always uh, been good at making people laugh, but I hadn't, I hadn't ever considered it as something. Again, I just thought it was a very, it seemed to me a very sort of male dominated uh, medium. Um, and then I, after I left drama school, a couple of years after that, um, I wrote, I wrote like a, a small comedy piece, um, more cause I was just, um, I think I'd had some very, I'd had a very humiliating one night stand and I decided to write a little sketch about it. And, 
and I filmed it with some friends and I put it on the internet and you know a lot of people found it very funny and lots of uh, sort of people in the industry kind of really liked it and it made me think okay I can do this so then I I wrote something more and I ended up winning um so you think you write funny the little known uh, comedy sister of so you think you're funny and from then I thought oh, God, maybe maybe I'll maybe I could try stand up and initially I did stand up with a ukulele as a kind of prop and you know comedians are very rude about ukulele playing comedians uh but it was a good way of starting and then I sort of shed the ukulele and just went straight to stand up so quite late really in my in my sort of late late 20s something like that well, I mean, comedy's not always something people come to young. Um, because it's John John Bishop only did it like I think after he got divorced. Um, the 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 guy from he's, he's a scouser, and I remember he was just like talking about how he was complaining to his mates or something, and he just ended up trying comedy, like after he got divorced, as like a way to be have some some on stage therapy. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of comedians but, uh, use it as therapy. Mm, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's got to be a fun way to, like, talk through your problems. I don't know. It, yeah, I think it can be quite it's not that helpful if you're not laughing. It can, yeah, it, I mean, that, that's the thing. When you're starting out and you, you're on the open mic mark, the open mic circuit, you do see some people who literally are just going on to talk about their problems. And they're not funny, and sometimes they're quite, it's quite sad and distressing. But it's people who just like going, I just want to, I just want to share my pain with you all and I'll stick a punchline on the end of it. I think there's an element of that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, it's got to be. I, I often wonder when, whenever I'm watching comedy, especially is when, when people are telling stories, it's like how much of this is actually like the complete truth and how much of this is like kind of what happened but just what you've exaggerated, like, where's the line? Because I can never quite tell. Do you know what I mean? When, when, because it's, it's, it's a real comedy trope when people stand up and say, all oh, right, well, this really happened. But I'll, in my head, I'm like, what are you exaggerating here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or what's worse and you don't want to tell us? Like, is it, <laughs> is this the tame version <laughs> of the story? Like, <laughs> so how did your first time on stage go? Where was that? Do you mean my first time doing stand-up? Um, yeah. I mean, that was comically bad. It was so funny. I So I'd, I'd, um, I'd met this lovely comic on um, when I'd sort of written, written and performed something that wasn't stand-up. And he said, I think you'd be, he said, I think you're really funny. I think you'd be really good at stand-up. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, look, I'm running this small night. Why don't you come along and, and do something? And I thought, okay, well, why not? So I got there, and it was it was in some really dodgy end of of London. And I got there, and it was it was above <laughs> above a pub, and and he was looking very sort of tense. And I said, oh, hi, I'm here. And he said, okay, we're just sort of waiting a bit more because see, if, you know, at the moment there's not many audience. So I went upstairs and said, and they ended up because they couldn't find any audience. They ended up going onto the street and looking looking for audience members. So they ended up bringing in people into the audience who were incredibly drunk and confused. So you had this comedy audience who were full of drunk and confused people. And I was on last 
and I watched everyone before me get completely annihilated by this audience. So there was this really drunk guy who was in the audience and he was like, yeah, shit. And then this one guy was doing his routine and and, uh, and then he, he, he was getting sort of booze. And so he said, okay, don't, you don't like that? Don't like that? Well, what about this? And he whipped out the saucepan and he put it on his head and he was like, do you like, do you like this? Do you think this is funny? And everyone was like, yeah, crap, get off the stage. It was literally that bad. And then Harriet um, Kemsey, who I was living with at the time, had sort of said to one of the comics there, she said, look, my friend Rosie's doing stand-up for the first time. Can you look out for her? So um, so her friend who I was sat with, uh, he went on and he actually did okay compared to everyone else. But he was so angry at the audience being horrible that he said it, he, he left his set going, fuck you all, I don't need this. I've got a gig at the comedy store later. So he got off stage and he said to me, he said, Rosie, I know I told Harriet that I'd look after you. This is the worst audience I've ever experienced in my life. And he left. And um, before it got to me, the audience started going, no more comedy, no more comedy. And um, <laughs> and the MC got on stage and he went, no, wait, wait, there's one more, there's one more. And the, the chief heckler got up and was like, where is he? Where is he? And he went, no, no, it's a she. And so then I got up and I was like, hello. <laughs> so I got up on stage and I was lucky because the chief heckler passed out throughout the whole of my set. So I didn't get any laughs, but I got and I didn't get any heckling. I just got stone cold silence, which compared to everybody else was actually was actually better than I was expecting. So I needed to silence. And then at the end of the set, the chief heckler woke up and he went, you're brilliant like that. And uh, that was my that was my first comedy gig. Um, and I thought, right, uh, I'm not sure if I want to, if I want to do this again. So, so it was a while till my second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair play for trying again after that. Um, I get the feeling it could have gone worse, perhaps. But I mean, yeah, yeah that's quite a baptism to have had. I, I assume you still use that guy's review of your of your set on like posters and um, you know that yeah, sort of thing. Of course, yeah. Drunk, drunk, drunk man pulled out from the street says, yeah. <laughs> So when did you actually start to get, I don't know, comfortable with standing on stage and, and telling jokes? Because it's almost, I think it's it's perhaps the most terrifying thing to get on stage and do. Because anyone can get on stage and talk or like repeat a script and they're kind of, they're able to hide behind the script in a way because they didn't write it. Yeah. Or they're able to just sort of talk and people will sit there and half listen and, you know, if they're not, they're not expecting anything. If, if, say, you go to, like, I don't know, I was going to give a talk on something, you'd expect people to be sat there, most of them, or, yeah, a good portion, like, not really listening. Or Whereas when you're when you're uh, going up on stage to do comedy, you're, you're kind of up there, and, and the focus is really quite on you in a way that it's not, say, at, like, an open mic, maybe, for a musician, where you're just sort of in the background. When, yeah. when do you stop being, like, 
holy shit, I'm up here to try and make these people laugh and they're all staring at me and I've just got this microphone and, oh, dear God, please don't rush the stage. Um, <laughs> well, it's all, I find it always really scary. I mean, I think the good thing about being an... I've noticed this with other stand-ups who have training in acting is I think they are, at the beginning, they're better at feigning confidence. So when you're looking at new stand-ups, people who've been... who you know, have done drama, you usually look more confident, even if they aren't. Whereas you stand-ups who don't have that are kind of clearly kind of more unconfident. I mean, I find that it, it actually depends on the gig because you can get on, to begin with, I'm always pretty nervous, but when you get on stage, if an audience starts really responding and really enjoying it, then, you, you know, I very quickly relax on stage and start enjoying what I'm doing. If, you get on stage and um, you make a joke and and usually, you know, you start with a strong opener because you want to win the audience round. If no one responds to that well, then instantly you're back slightly up. And it's a bit of a catch-22 because if you're not confident on stage, then you, you, you can't do as good a, good a job. Um, and you're not you're not as funny. So it's these things that you've got to try and fake it till you make it really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for, for all comedians who, who are able to stand up and sort of, I don't know, command a crowd in a, in a way. Um, I was watching um, a set of yours from, oh, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in London. Um, I will put the link in the description below. I'll be able to find it for people. And um, oh. you were talking about... Um, I think it was like a yeah a couple of years ago, and you talked about um, that you were you'd been dating uh, a journalist who was writing a book about Brexit, and like yeah. so they kind of split up with you in order to yeah. And I was just like la I was laughing so hard. I was like, I bet my ex girlfriend wished I'd done that because I I literally like I think probably drove her insane whilst writing a book about Brexit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Oh God. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, because he it was it was hard to see the um, yeah when I was doing him he was writing this book about Brexit and uh, he he Brexited me basically hard not to see the parallels. Oh, <laughs> uh, so what do you think is the purpose of comedy like in society? Like, what role does comedy have for for the country or civilization? Oh, what a question. Well, you know, obviously it's to entertain, but I think also it's what it's always been, without being too wanky about it, is to have, um, <laughs> you know, back in the time you had like a court jester who would say the, the unsayable, who would say the things that no one else could really get away with saying. And I think the best mm. comedy is is stuff that because it's a release i mean like i i know some people get cross with me online because they say i shouldn't joke about the things i joke about but i kind of think that it's it's a release for people that's i i find personally as a as personally as a person that you know when, when something really bad has happened to me i've always sort of looked for the comedy in it just as a way really of of comforting myself and it's it's a release for people. And also, if you're not sure if if um you know issues do seem kind of 
big and scary and complicated somehow it's just it's just funny to to, to laugh at them that wasn't that wasn't very eloquent i'm sorry but um you know i think like, like uh for, for example like if i think of some comics um i like who are actually quite right wing and i i'm you know i'm i'm a left i'm a left wing person but i like the good if, if you're a good right wing comic and admittedly there's there's quite a small pool of that but if they're good then sometimes i like watching that because i like laughing i like laughing at myself and i like and i like looking at the world differently and i think you can do that um through a good joke yeah yeah you've got i think like i'm in the same boat i mean there's some right-wing comedians that just crack me up like who 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 do you enjoy listening to so from I that think area Le- i'm always i'm always interested yeah so i think uh leo curse is very funny i you know he's provo- provocative on twitter um and online but he i've seen him on stage and he's he's very funny and i think jeff norcott who is not as right wing as leo who's more sort of centrist right is is brilliant and funny and also very informed actually so he's sort of you know his his opinions always kind of worth listening to so i think those are the the two that on the right that i i'd pick out and then I you've also got people that sorry go ahead oh no well, i i was just going to say i also think there's 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 uh, comics like who aren't politically on the right but who are very good provocateurs like um Finn Taylor and Alfie Brown who are great because they um they do make you you know they do say things which are sort of quite on quite awful but they it, but it it makes you know, makes you think about something different i took my brother to see Finn Taylor and he said afterwards he went that was great i didn't agree with half of what he was saying but it made me laugh so much and i think you know i think that's what's that's what's great it's, it's exciting mm, really is i love that that like i love when you're in that moment where the comedian is kind of saying the things that, like you said, no one else sort of will say. But when the audience is kind of brought along in the laugh train, it's like, I think Louis C.K. said it in one of his specials. He's like, you're all here with me. You laughed at all of this stuff. It's a, yeah. <laughs> it's like like a shared moment where everyone can kind of forget about being too serious about things and sort of all laugh at the ridiculousness of our world together. Yeah. Mm. Oh, Louis C.K. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's really difficult because I, I find that there's there's this thing where with some people, I want to separate the person from the bad things they did. Like as the artist, I want to still like enjoy their art and kind of like be like, yes, this was a horrible human being, obviously fucked up in, in many ways. There's like people like, um, like Michael Jackson, like freaking love his music but uh, like at the same time he's you have a big to be pedophile was very, like yeah, yeah he's a big pedophile. yeah exactly yeah yeah and si- same with kevin spacey and like because i love his acting in in some things like uh, in house of yeah. cards for example but then you have to like i and then there's the same thing with louis ck and maybe he gets away with it more because he's a comedian and he can kind of 
I don't know, like throw his hands up and, and just be like, well, and laugh about it in a way that like more serious artists can. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Louis C.K., the jury's still out, isn't it, whether he will he will kind of rise above it. I think what some, some people found difficult was that it's not his comedy was often referencing the kind of stuff it turned out he was doing. So, you know, there there was a sort of complicity that as as an audience member, you suddenly went, oh, no, oh, no. I thought I was laughing at, at something, you know, just quite far-fetched. And actually, you were kind of indicating all the r- rather troubling things you were doing. Um, but yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was very funny. I, I don't know what, what's going to happen with him. Real wise. Um, I mean, I think he's got a new, I think he's got a new show out. Maybe. I get the feeling I heard about that. Anyway. The, the comedian that I, I am loving most at the minute actually is, is Tim Dillon. Um, and I'm not normally a big fan of American comedians. I feel like they're too, like, I don't know, abrasive. There's no subtlety yeah. to it. But Tim Dillon is so funny. I found out recently he's got, like, one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Um, is I'm like going to have to check him out. Like, I... I think it's like... Yeah. He looks like Alex Jones' illegitimate son. And um, he is loud and is, like, a former... Like, he did an outrageous amount of drugs. He was a... He was a... Um, like a subprime mortgage broker at one point. Um, you know, all the, like the, the really, really, really shitty mortgages that like broke the economy yeah. in 2008. Like he was, he was, he was like a salesman for that, but he always jokes about how he was a really bad salesman for them. So he was like, he was like the worst of the worst bankers. <laughs> um, but he's just this like loud, abrasive guy that is yeah. so funny, but he's like so on the money with like, I don't know, what's going on on the internet. Like, I think he just like scrolls the internet like 12 hours a day looking for material, but it's so good. He got, he got in trouble for recently for suggesting that Australians are still in lockdown because they want to grill and sit in the sun. That's all they want to do. And that they all are just loving it because like, why, why would they, why would they not? You know, the government is telling them to sit at home and grill. And it's like, why, why would the Australians revolt? You know, they're just a bunch of <laughs> oh, really funny guy. I definitely recommend you check uh, him out. Okay, I will. So, I will. He sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what sort, like you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, like what sort of uh, challenges do you think that women have to go through in comedy that's different, say, to like what, what men have to deal with? Like what are the, aside from, I know we mentioned the kind of, when you walk on stage, that initial yeah. sort of, oh. But, like, aside from that, is there, is there anything else that you think women have to deal with that's that's different to, to men? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know any other male comic who gets sent dick pics, for example. Um, and, uh, and also, it's, you know, the kind... I mean, obviously, my comedy is mainly online. You know, I've got... Uh, I put my comedy on Twitter, and I've got, you know big following for it um so you know i get a lot of abuse online and you know a lot of it is it's quite misogynistic um you know it's about your appearance or and so you know sometimes it's sometimes it's nice stuff sometimes it's like i don't think you're funny 
but I would bang you. But then sometimes it's, you know, you, you're, you're ugly and you're not, you know, you're not good looking enough to be on Twitter. Um, there's, there's, um, I don't think men get that. So I think as women, you do get a lot of stuff pointed at your appearance, which is, um, which can be a bit exhausting. So I think, I think that's something that I don't know any male comedian who deals with, but I think most female comics would be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've all been sent a dick pic by some angry fan. Well, not fan, <laughs> angry anti-fan. Fan. Yeah. Such a weird. That's such like a. That's such a weird like thing to do. Like, like from like a psychological perspective, to be angry, but also sending a dick pic. Uh, <laughs> I can't quite get my head around that. Well, yeah. Like, so if we, like, last I night understand. I got last night I got one from this guy being like, "You know, you're not funny, right?" And then and then he was like, um, "You should," and then he just sent a picture of his completely naked of him with his penis. Being like, this is what you should be doing. <laughs> right. Oh, like, oh, okay. That's so strange. I mean, maybe actually I thought of one comedian, male comedian who might get dick pics. What about Tom Allen? Maybe. Um, I don't I, I don't know if he gets dick pics. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he I don't know if he does. I'm not sure gay, gay men do that to other gay men. I think it's just, uh, I mean, obviously everyone sends dick pics, but I mean, I don't think they do like, because uh, when when um, I get dick pics, it's not usually from men who are like, hey, I just want to get to know you. <laughs> they, they're usually trying to make you feel crap in some way or some sort of power. But I mean, mm. some of the photos are really silly. So, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. I was about to ask if you consider just posting them immediately, but then that's probably definitely in violation of some Twitter rules. Yeah. You can't post people, people naked. Um, <laughs> probably for good reason. I mean, that's not, that's not to say that that's not a good rule for them to have. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you could just start out in the people. I mean, you can make their penises public. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, yeah, I'm not sure Twitter would would enjoy that. Maybe the, the, maybe you, should, you can start like a website where female comedians like out men who send them dick pics. <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah, uh, so I think that's something that's uh, peculiar to to women. Also, I mean, another thing is uh, it's getting so much better, but there is, you know, every female comic will tell you about the time when they were, you know you go on a bill um you're put on a bill and you're the only female there and equally you're, you're told you can't go on a bill because there's already a female comic on so it's this kind of sort of putting them up as a as a niche category which is ridiculous when we're 50 percent mm. of the population so that that happens quite a bit and and even and then i've i've noticed um you know when i go on to do sort of radio things like some kind of comedy section about the news they don't put me on with a man they put me on with a woman because there's this idea of like oh well you know <laughs> let's keep the women comedy together um it's, it's so there's there's little things like that which is um which are a bit of a hindrance but it is getting it's getting a lot it's getting a lot better and i think what's good is we're in a we're in a time where people are going oh 
oh wow, women, women, are, women can be funny. So that and and people want to want to prove that they they see that women can be funny. So they're pushing women forward and they're saying, look, look, we think women are funny. Here's a funny woman, and uh, I think you can you know you can take advantage of that as a woman and be like, yes, I'm getting on the funny woman train. Do you think there is a difference in like the style or like the sense of humor? Like, I'm not I'm not saying that that female comedy should be like a niche in itself, but do you think there is like some sort of niche to carve out as like as for like female comedy or women's comedy, um, or do you think it should just be uh, contained within the whole? Because obviously, there's lots of different like sub genres of types of comedy. Like there'll be people who are doing like political stuff there'll be people who are doing maybe like men's men sort of th things do, yeah. do you know what i mean lads 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 yeah yeah, yeah. Blokes, and I, I think that's a good point i think um i think i think another reason why sometimes women struggle in the industry is because a lot of tv comedy um and i don't mean sitcoms but i mean sort of panel shows is very much geared towards male humour. There's a kind of, um, you know, with those shows like Mock the Week and stuff, there is a sort of competitiveness of, you know, being the loudest sort of um, out-joking each other. Mm. That w women don't do so much. You know, I think I think w women's humour is, is different and, and doesn't quite, isn't quite so sort of... Uh, um, Aggressive. I'm trying to think of not using these gendered words, but like aggressively competitive. Mm -hmm. So I think, I th and I'm, I think it is, it is there. There is definitely a sort of different streak to male humour, mm -hmm. or there can be, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of backed up by a lot of the programmes that are made by men. And you know, to be fair, it'd be back in the day, kind of, it was it was mainly men that you were seeing on screen anyway. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that bad to use like the gendered words because that's kind of just more, yeah, that's just a better word for describing the, the, the sort of style of humour on there. And like you said, it kind of, it definitely, it's it's got something about the, the fact when you have, I don't know, like a bunch of guys on stage, like they'll be kind of constantly one up each other. But what would you yeah. say that like then the, the, the female style of comedy is? So if, you, if, you're, if you're like, if you're classifying at least to some extent that like male comedy is more, um, yeah, about this, at least on those panel shows, like it's competitive and sort of quick fire and always trying to one up each other. Like how would you describe female comedy then? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Even that makes me cringe. I mean, I guess it's more, it can be more sort of conversational um, rather than sort of banter. But there, you know, it also depends on the comic. I mean, Catherine Ryan is amazing at those sort of quick fire put downs. She's brilliant, um, and you know, there are there are comics that are just, you know, regardless of gender, are really good at that. I think, but I think sort of with society, I think women have got a bit more used to just because of how we've been brought up of sitting back and letting the men. The men do the jokes, so women are a bit more like, "Hey, okay, no, look, I've got a joke, but don't worry, you don't need to listen to it." And um, I think so. I think it's I, a lot of female comics I know. 
they took longer to get the into the game of comedy. Like you get comic, male comics who started really young in their teens. Um, look, when I was coming up, coming up onto the circuits, you know, a lot of the women who were starting were considerably older than the men that were starting. And I think because it takes longer for women to go, oh no, wait, I can be. I can be funny, actually, I'm really funny. And I think women are very good at being funny with each other. And sometimes in society, they, I, 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 don't, I do think it's a lot different now, but certainly in my, in my teens and 20s, you weren't there to be funny. You know, you, 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 that, wasn't, that wasn't kind of the perceived role. It was men, men were funny to impress women and women um, laughed. Hopefully. Not always. <laughs> Not always. Uh, so, where did your um, like? I don't even know what to describe it. Like your like British woman character that you you, you do online. Like yeah. where where did that come from? Yeah. So she's a character. She's a, a tw character on the internet. Who, if, if anyone hasn't seen it, is is a kind of pearl clutching, very right wing, Boris loving, free speech commentator. Um, and she sort of takes whatever topic is sort of talked about in the news, um, you know, usually to do with the government and offers her great, a great hot take on it. Um, so she came about, it, I was basically, it was in lockdown. I was bored like most people, bored and frustrated. And it was during the Black Lives Matter protests. And I remember reading a Sadiq Khan put up a post and he was saying that we, it was after Edward Colston had been pulled down in Bristol, but he, but um, Sadiq Khan said, okay, we are, we're going to take down the statue of, I think it was Robert Milligan from London Stocklands. Mm. And he said, we're doing this because, you know, because of his links to slavery. And the comments underneath his post were just really funny. It was a lot of really, really angry people saying, you're taking away our democracy. Um, you're erasing history, and so I was reading these, and um, and I was kind of a mix of finding it funny and also finding it quite infuriating. And I thought, what if I do a video of these comments, but I follow them through to their logical conclusion? So I put put up this this uh, video of this woman who was saying it's terrible them taking down these statues; they're erasing history just like Stalin did, who incidentally I have a statue of in my garden. You know, and not because I admire Stalin, but because I admire history and he looks good by the pond. So it was just this idea of taking this kind of rather like conservative logic and just just following it through to what they said. So I did, I put that up there and I wasn't really, I thought, oh, this is a good idea, but I wasn't expecting it to um go viral which it kind of did it just blew up and then from there it was just i just did more and more um videos of her and she's great because she can kind of talk about she can talk about anything really and she says awful things so which is good because i've always found awful things funny so it's much easier to say that as a character than as yourself mm. Or maybe, maybe maybe these are your real views, and this is just yeah. Like your I am way of actually extremely right wing. I mean, you say that I get I get abuse from people 
who, I mean, so a lot of people who think the videos are real, think it's real, but also from people on the left who get it's a joke, but are like, no, you've revealed your true colours and you're actually just a Tory pretending to be more of a Tory. Oh, it's so, it's so amazing. Like what sometimes like watching people's like purity tests, like turn on them, like the left, like just typically are, are really bad for this. It's, oh it's my always God, like, dreadful. It's, it's so funny. It's like, they're so, do you know what? They're so much worse than the right, to be honest, because the, le the least with the right, you know, the charling I get from the right is very, it, it's just the same kind of thing. It's like, you're not funny. You're a loony lefty. And if you love refugees so much, why don't you live with them? That's kind of what they say. And they just sort of say that in various forms. And you're like, okay, I can, I can go with that. But the left really go for the jugular and they're just waiting to catch you out. So, you know, I, um, I, I kind of, I try and avoid from bitter experience tweeting about anything, any serious tweets. I'll tweet about serious issues a lot, but I'll tweet them sort of tongue, tongue in cheek. And then I once fired off a tweet, um, which was very bad, but very good learning curve, um, where I, I just sort of, was cross about the situation I was reading online and I sent off a serious tweet and I got a lot of abuse from it from from the left and a lot of it was like oh we always knew you were a right-wing authoritarian Tory and then you know I still get now I get or people saying um but you know and then these famous centrists and they'll put my name in it and I'm like I'm not a centrist I mean I have no problem with I actually have no problem with centrists but I'm not one and mm. I, I, you've decided I'm a centrist because it's like they can't compute that someone can just be left but not but have a different view to them. It's very exhausting, and they really go for the jugular. I've, I've had some really, I mean, some c crazy insults from the left. Whether you know the right, you just know what you're getting. I think I'm like, you know, it's fine. And yeah. I know how I'm going to be. I know I'm going to be abused. It's fine. But the left are like, you're the, you're an arrogant asshole just like your character <laughs> oh my god that's amazing i love that they're doing that like that um although i find it's weird actually that this has changed but i find that the right tend to have more of a sense of humor about themselves at times and that yeah didn't it's used terrible to be isn't the, it but that didn't used to be the way because like if you think about it like 10 20 20 years ago like who would have been the people who were doing all the cancelling and that were like trying to shut things down for being like too offensive or shouldn't be on TV? It was all like the Christian conservative right. They were the ones yeah. that were like shutting everything down. They were like the mothers against South Park and and like you know it was like Family Guy shouldn't be on our TV and like all all of these shows. The the, the people who would like write to to Ofcom or whatever and be like, I can't believe they showed this or someone said the F word on TV and. Like, this is the degradation of our society. And, like, that used to be the right, <laughs> but now it's the left that, like, weirdly are the ones yeah. that, like, get mad about what people say. There's some, something really strange just, like, flipped at some point. Yeah, and also, what, like, it's sort of holding... Um, Adam Rowe made a really good point where he said, we don't do with any other art form that suddenly in comedy, it's kind of holding people up as a sort of paragon of virtue. And if you, if you make a joke about something bad of, of a bad subject, then you are, you are somehow, you know, you are, you are evil and need to be abused. Whereas if you're doing a film about something bad and 
terrible. You know, people don't go, okay, (laughs) hang on a minute. It's a bit, it's a bit mad. I mean, I know a lot of comics will go and a lot of people will say, oh, there is no cancel culture. But I do think it is, you know, it can sometimes as a comic, you, 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 it is a bit scary because you you can feel that people are quite censorious and um you know i did one i did one video that um some people really took issue with and it was actually quite scary <laughs> and i was out with my friend at the time and i was sort of getting this backlash on the internet i said oh god i said i think i'm getting cancelled and it's just not a nice feeling where you're like oh god i'll never work again because people are going to decide i'm evil because i've made a joke <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's such a weird thing. Like, as it is, it's just a joke. Like, that's all it is. And yeah, there's, there's like, there's, there's a find with the cancel culture thing. There's like the imagined how bad people are, and then there's the like the thing that's actually happening underneath it. Yeah. So there's like, there's people like you know things being cancelled or removed. There was like, um peep show episodes and like episodes of Benidorm I remember like had got one or two of them had been removed um and I was just a bit like oh I don't like where this is going where things aren't allowed to be made fun of but then if you ask someone like you say you say you ask I don't know like John from Swindon who loves the Daily Mail and he he will be like yeah well you can't say anything anymore and it's like it's not quite that bad really is it like like you can still say a lot of things but but like the the weird like element that's kind of been added to it is is like what is acceptable on on YouTube, for example, or on Twitter, like is acceptable to say or even joke about. Because like I I'm like I've had a couple of like more controversial people on uh, over the last I don't know a couple of weeks, and all of the videos have just been demonetized. And I'm like, this isn't quite censorship, but it's kind of like suggesting that I shouldn't talk about these things. And like, I'm so yeah. prepared for people to come at me at some point and try and cancel me because I do like to talk to really controversial people. But I find they're the most entertaining or interesting. It's, diff- it's difficult, isn't it? And I don't quite know what the answer is because I think it's a real um, mix. It's one of these things that depending on who I'm talking to, I can kind of quite easily be swayed either way. Um, you know, I, like I, I think... There's a lot to be said for, um, you know, if you deplatform people, then you're you're not you're not engaging with those views, and you're not you're not showing up those views and showing up how bad they are, or just sort of debating them. Mm. But then also, in some cases, deplatforming we've seen it can be really effective and work. So, like with Katie Hopkins and Milo, oh God, how do you say uh, that name? Yiannopoulos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, he got deplatformed and yeah. He, yeah, he was spreading real hate. And, and now, where is he? I, I don't know. Like, mm. so it, it, it can be good, but it's, it, it's worth the conversation. I don't think it's simple enough for people to say, oh, there is no cancel culture uh, and there is no problem here. Could you go, well, there, you know, it, we, we need to sort of engage with this a bit more and look at what's going on because it's it's tricky and i i get with people saying i don't want to promote these views and i think but i think that and i think that's a really good point as well like if you you have someone you know go on who's really homophobic you don't why do we why do we want to listen that you don't want to debate whether someone should be homophobic or not 
you know, you just, uh, you just, we just shouldn't hear from them. So it, it, I, I just think it's a, comp- I just think it's a complicated issue, yeah. and you can't simplify it really. No, no, you really can. But I mean, quite often, like one of the best ways to, to like, display how stupid something is is to be like allow comedians to go up there and make fun of it and and to like play with ideas in the worst way like like the the, the peep show episode that I, I recall um being deplatformed was because um Jer- it was an episode where jeremy has blackface on and the i to me the point of the bit was the uncomfortableness of it it's like showing that that's like not acceptable in society because they're like a suggesting that he's like a bad person for doing it and like when you see it like you can laugh but there's also this really visceral like oh okay that's ooh you know that's not what we do these days and like that that is the point that they're making that it that when you show something like that you're like almost reminding people and and being able to like knock things down by the sheer act of making fun of them where when yeah. you take that away it it gives credence and like it gives like yeah legitimate arguments to the people who are like oh they're just cancelling everything whereas I, I don't know i'm i'm just like very much on on the on in the camp of like let people speak and be idiots and that yeah if if you yeah that that you have to you have to allow people to display their own stupidity essentially <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm all for people displaying their own stupidity. Oh, yeah. So have you got any plans to uh, take your your English woman and like turn her into some sort of um, like on stage character, like Al Murray style? I do. They're, at the moment, they're quite vague plans. I'm trying to sort of work out how it would work. I've tried her. I've taken her live on stage sort of few times and she's worked very well and um so i do like the idea of doing a show i just want to work out how to do it because i don't think it would work with just her ranting everyone for an hour um you know whether i do that with having like some sort of you know guests on or i mean i audience interaction was always something i really liked when i did straight stand-up so and she's she's really fun to interact with as as a as a character. Um, she's just so awful. Mm. So you get yeah, to say all your certain, real views. Yeah, you get to say we're steep within my heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully I will will be doing that at some point. Um, in in the probably in twenty twenty two, and then I'm also. Hopefully, um, I'm talk to a few people. Hopefully, have she'll have some sort of podcast where she'll interview people, and it will be kind of like oh, talk radio type thing. So that would be really fun. Oh my god, you're going to do a Julia Hartley Brewer parody? Yes, that's exactly. I didn't want to say I know, but that's exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I pitched it as. <laughs> oh my god, that could be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah please do that i want to see that we need more like great comedy on on the internet in the uk oh, that's good okay and she is my muse mm-hmm. i really look forward to seeing that that'll be great 
Anyway, um, do you want to tell people where they can find you and your things and like plug anything before we finish up here? Well, if they find me on Twitter or Instagram or, or both on at Rosie is a halt. H-O-L-T. At Rosie is a halt. I don't know why I said that in such a weird way. So, yeah, that that would be the that would be the place to go, I'd say. Okay. Right. Well, um, yeah, Rosie, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. Don't forget our sponsor, ExpressVPN, and my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, can both be found in the links in the description below. And also, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow. Until next time, thanks for listening. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know, they may have bought at $4, sat through $400, went back to 40, went to 350, back down to 110, and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, they, they, you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace? has never been seen before. Uh, the short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful, they want to stock higher. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street, you know, Reddit bets? Why, why, why? But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again, or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? So here we got the fox guarding the hen house and one of the hens is complaining the fox is out to kill us and the farmer says i'm sorry the fox is in charge of the hen house whenever there is not billions but like trillions of dollars involved in something it i i argue that nothing is off the table the way they have absolutely cheated stolen robbed everyday people so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies in the history of, in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months, and, and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy, and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You've got maybe 10 million people doing this who now own, you know, probably more than 100 million shares, 
and eventually, you know, they might own everything.